Good morning. I'm Danielle Houston. This is my now live podcast, The Checkup. It is Wednesday, June 17th, and this is the series of Don't Stand So Close to Me. It's all about helping us be prepared and make all of the necessary plans to get back to our workplace and do so safely, keeping everyone healthy. Today's episode is a special feature with Marjorie Robertson. And in case it has not been made clear enough, I love her. She returns to us. She's been on the podcast before and she speaks a lot. She's the assistant vice, an assistant vice president, an AVP at uh, Sun Life. So you're probably familiar with Sun Life as being a carrier who provides medical, or I'm sorry, dental and uh, life insurance, disability and stop loss insurance. They have wonderful experts like Marjorie who provide valuable information around compliance and leave management. They're also getting into helping clients with managing absences and technology, which we'll also talk just a little bit about at the end. Um, but Marjorie's been a great guide for us through these last months of COVID, so much legislation. And so I welcome, welcome you back. She's a wonderful expert who I think does a fantastic job of entertaining us along the way as well. So she's joined us. <laughs> and uh, I've also got Whitney Lindley with us today and she's our local person. It looks like she's in Alaska with, uh, you know, the lights there, but she's really not. She's in Seattle, right? Right, Whitney? <laughs> so she's the person that we work locally with here in Seattle. And um, I would just love to go ahead and turn the conversation over and uh, Marjorie, if you want to introduce yourself and share anything sure. else before you get started. We're just going to have a great conversation today and, yeah. and have people ask questions. You can pop them into chat or we can open it up here at a couple of different places to, uh, to ask. But hi, Marjorie. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for the glowing introduction. Um, yeah, I'm Sun Life's employment attorney. That's probably the most unique thing about my identity. And I've worked at Sun Life for too many years to admit. Um, and over the last several years, I've started doing more presentations for brokers who then said, oh, can you do it for our clients and our prospects about FMLA issues, ADA issues, accommodations. And then uh, in March, COVID hit. <laughs> and so I, I actually encouraged Sun Life to allow me to do presentations for employers and brokers about what COVID means for the workplace. And so it started with a series of presentations about the new leave laws that are being adopted at the federal level. There's the, the FFCRA, which has hard to believe federal paid leave, both paid sick leave and, and paid family and medical leave. It's just temporary, but it's, it's really a, a groundbreaking switch to have something like that at the federal level. And then a number of states and cities and counties have adopted their own paid leaves. So I did a series of webinars about the leaves and then uh, states and cities and counties started reopening and there is 
just an amazing number of orders being issued relating to that. Uh, the U.S. approach is interesting because the federal government has kind of said, well, we're going to let the states and cities kind of run with this, um, which is great for local control, but it is challenging if you're an employer who has employees in more than one jurisdiction. Um, and it's challenging if you're an employment lawyer like me and you're trying to keep track of it. We actually work, we have Canadian offices and they, they have like one government they worry about. And I'm like, well, I have thousands of cities and counties and states. Um, so I have spent the last couple of months trying to keep up to date on all of those developments ranging from mass to occupancy to OSHA requirements. And so um, I've been doing a lot of presentations about sort of the key legal issues for reopening. Um, and I'm happy to share some of the, hopefully some stories. Uh, this will be more than just a boring legal talk, but uh, I, was, I was doing a little catching up on Washington and Oregon today. I had looked at Washington before, but I wanted to get updated. And then Oregon, I was going on uh, Governor Brown's website and looking at what she had, so. I appreciate that. And one thing I would want also for anyone who's here today live, or if you watch this later, Marjorie and her team did a great web meeting. I think it was the very early part of May that I would say is a pretty foundational piece with FFCRA and PPP and all of these new acronyms right. that we have that represented really a massive landslide of new legislation that I feel like all of us are still kind of sifting through. So if you still have some questions around those pieces, if some of it's a little bit fuzzy, it's a wonderful presentation. I would be happy to send you a link. You can uh, maybe message me in chat or follow up with me and I'll be happy to send that over. Um, since, since early May, I mean, hard to believe it's mid-June already. Right. Um, where are we today? So it's gonna depend on which state and county you're in as to how much uh, has been allowed to reopen. I do think that all of the states, even the ones like Massachusetts that maybe are more aware of health issues are feeling the economic pressure to reopen. So I, I think it, now every state is open to some degree or another. So I think where employers are, a lot of employers chose to have their employees work from home as much as they could. Uh, when COVID-19 hit. And now employers are going through the debate of, well, do we bring people back? How many do we bring back? Do we force them to come back? Um, I'm actually on the committee at Sun Life where we're evaluating all of those issues. And we're now starting to hear more and more talk about lawsuits. Uh, there is a lot of talk about where employers could be exposed to lawsuits. And that obviously the odds of that increase when you start bringing people back into the workplace. Um, and so I have, I have some things that I can talk about on that. So definitely that, that was one of my questions that, that I have for you. The other thing, um, I, I can't figure out how to do a poll in zoom. I probably <laughs> need a whole separate zoom class, but, um, 
I was going to ask of, of people that are here today, how many are taking a truly voluntary return to work approach versus, you know, and perhaps you have a, a work site that really doesn't allow for a remote work period, but I'm curious to hear where people are at in that today. Um, Marjorie, what's your sense as you're talking to employers everywhere? Is so the voluntary I, option? So Sun Life is, is a little bit unique in that we're really 100% voluntary, except for essential employees. But because we're like a services company, we don't have that many essential employees. We have some document people and mail people. Um, but we've decided to go completely voluntary. I had to get into a little bit of a discussion with um, particularly our Canadian counterparts, because they, they, they're kind of paternalistic. So they want to do what's good for the employee. And so they wanted to say, well, it's voluntary, but if you're in one of the higher risk categories, sort of, we're not going to let you come back. So if you're over age 60 or 65, if you have underlying health conditions, and I had to say, wait a minute, <laughs> I actually do webinars on this. That could get you into trouble. You think you're being helpful, but you could be exposed to an ADA claim where you're discriminating against people. Um, and so we had some back and forth about that. I have heard from other anecdotal stories that some employers are being a little more aggressive, um, that it's not voluntary. Uh, I think that you're putting yourself at risk with that um, from a number of ways. I think one thing we're going to see more and more of is that people who don't want to come back for safety reasons are going to say, well, wait a minute, I'm working perfectly fine from home. I've been doing it for two months. And the employer saying, well, no, it's really essential that you come back. If you're in a state that has as part of the reopening requirements that you allow remote working as much as possible, you could be setting yourself up for a lawsuit with that employee, especially if they happen to fall into one of the protected categories. So um, I do see a lot of struggles back and forth between employers and employees about, is it safe to return? Are employers doing enough to keep the workplace safe? So those are some of the issues that I've seen. I don't, I'd love it if people felt free, you don't have to go on camera, but if you have any specific observations in that regard or questions, we're, we're happy to answer them. Marjorie, this is Jim. I have one, if I can. Sure. Um, I can see it coming down um, the road where uh, folks are gonna say, hey, I don't want to come back to work. Um, maybe they're fearful or Honestly, maybe they just use that as an excuse and then the company's got to run business. So they're going to need to fill that position. How are they going to do that if they still got you know, Jane Doe out there saying, hey, I don't want to come back, but I don't want to lose my job. And, you know, Paula Doe says, I got to have a paycheck. Hire me. So. If you can't, so I don't know that employees have the right to unlimited leave and have their job held. Um, although Washington State is a tricky one. Um, one of the things I was looking at with Washington State is you have Governor Inslee's order about how you have to accommodate employees who are in high risk categories. He puts a very heavy burden on you too. And so 
he doesn't seem to say you have to hold the job forever, but there is language in the proclamation that says that, that to the greatest extent possible, you should try to hold jobs. Um, I think what, what Governor Inslee is really trying to do is get you to be as flexible as possible about allowing those employees to work from home. So if you have the person who's at home and saying, I don't want to come back, but I can do my job here, that's where I think you run into some potential legal risk if you say, well, no, you have to, you better have some, some good objective reasons why that person needs to work in the office and not at home. Sure. Do you have some recommendations or guidance around how is an employer supposed to validate someone's high risk category? I mean, obviously there's age, but age is really just one factor. Right. What can they ask or not? Right. So under the Americans with Disabilities Act and most, I think every state anti-discrimination law, if somebody wants an accommodation, you can ask them to submit medical documentation to support it. What we're seeing is, I, I, we actually we do accommodation services for employers. And what we're seeing is doctors, it's, it's hard to argue with a doctor who says this person has a condition and it puts them more at high risk. What do you do with it? It's hard to challenge that. So you can ask for the documentation. I'm not sure you'll, it's that hard of a bar for somebody to jump over. And then you're in this awkward position of even if you don't think it is, you have a medical professional saying that it is. Um, one interesting thing though about mask wearing, so there are a lot of city and state and county orders about whether people have to wear masks, face coverings, whether employers have to provide them. And a number of the states, including Massachusetts and Connecticut, say that if somebody has a medical condition, and Oregon says this too, they don't have to wear a mask, but some of the states go even further and say, you can't ask for documentation of that. So if they say they have a medical condition, you can't force them to wear the mask and you can't force them to produce documentation. That's not true in all states, but it's one of the reasons I tell employers, you really got to know not just what your state is saying, but what your county and what your city is saying so that, so that you don't run afoul accidentally. So Washington State has made the proclamation, Governor Inslee, that masks should be wear, yes. should be worn at least at work. Yes. So, you know, it's masks are such a hot button topic, it seems like, which has surprised me over the yes. course of the last month. What kind of advice do you have for employers who might be dealing with people who are very resistant to wearing the masks at work or really maybe even any of the other new things that we're asking people to do at work to maintain right. some safety right. and distance? Right. So when it comes to the, let's talk about the masks because they're just sort of uniquely they raise unique issues. You know, if, they, if there is an underlying health reason, and it can be even a psychological reason. So if somebody's got a phobia or severe anxiety that they, their doctor says that condition will be exacerbated if they have to wear a mask, you may have to accommodate that. There are also religious reasons sometimes that can affect it. Uh, we at Sun Life, just to give you an example, we also, in Canada in particular, 
they feel they have to make sure that whatever masks people are wearing is effective. And so we're going to provide people with masks. And we had a debate about, are we only going to allow employees to wear the masks we give them? Or will they be able to wear their own masks? And so that got into personal choice issues. And then I had managers saying, I don't want to be the mask police. <laughs> you know, I don't want to have to be inspecting them. So I think masks is just one of those issues that's going to raise a host of issues. Under OSHA, which is the Occupational Safety Health Act, which is administered by the Occupational Safety Health Administration, and I also note that Washington and Oregon have their own state version, employers do have a duty to provide a safe workplace. And as the medical evidence increases that wearing a mask prevents the spread of the illness, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on employers to make sure that their employees are wearing the mask. And so if they don't have a medical reason, if they don't have a religious reason, if it's just sort of they don't like it, you may have to take disciplinary action so that you don't end up with a claim by other employees that you expose them to this condition. Um, I, I think there are going to be tug, then you get into potential discrimination issues because if you fire one person because they're not wearing the mask, but you don't fire everybody who isn't wearing the mask, you could end up with a discrimination lawsuit. So it's, there's a lot of very tricky areas that are gonna come up here. Um, and the same thing is true with the other requirements, like social distancing, if, you know, although there, there's no, usually no medical reason why somebody can't social distance, but some people don't obey it and you, you're gonna have to deal with it, but you're gonna have to be mindful. You can't be extra hard on some people and, and let other people let it go by. Stay down through, yeah, consistency. Right. So, I think there's already been actually one discrimination case filed by a minority who said he was fired for not social distancing, but there were plenty of people that weren't social distancing who were white who weren't fired. So I think you're going to see issues like that. Okay. So I know you love talking about cases and, <laughs> you know, I think it, and it is good conversation because I think these cases that come forward usually are the things that we don't think about when we are going about all the other plans and you know the, the case laws are the good examples of good intentions gone wrong or oops we didn't think about that it doesn't seem like it's very often really flagrant things right. intentionally however you know there's always the exception for that you've mentioned this one case law what what else has your attention right now so I, people are predicting there's going to be a lot of whistleblower type complaints where employees complain about safety um, and then they get fired or something bad happens to them. It's interesting to me because from a human being point of view, I think sometimes what happens is that the people complaining are the people who complain about everything, you know, and they're, they're annoying and you think they're overreacting. And so... It, it often takes a bad situation and makes it worse, and that may contribute to the sort of antagonism between the employee and the manager. But I, I really urge employers, if somebody's complaining, treat it as a gift. 
It's your chance. Listen to what they're saying. If there's something you need to fix in the workplace, it's your chance to avoid a lawsuit. So don't just dismiss it because, oh, that's so-and-so who's a whiner. <laughs> Try to listen. And to the extent they raise a legitimate point, you know, take steps because you may be avoiding them going to OSHA or them filing some kind of a whistleblower lawsuit. Um, so I think we are going to see a lot more of that. Yeah. And it, without some sort of congressional intervention here, you know, lawsuits in general, I think are, at least from an insurance perspective, one of our great concerns too, because right now there's nothing that would limit an employee or one of your customers from suing your company if they think they contracted the illness there. And often all it takes is just one lawsuit and the expense in defending it, regardless of how legitimate or founded it is. Right. Employees are on a little bit different footing um, because uh, employees, people, probably don't think about this much, but workers' compensation is actually a form of immunity from lawsuits. Employees are not allowed to go sue you if they're injured on the job, typically. They're only allowed to collect uh, money through the workers' comp administrative scheme. In some states, if, if you are found as the employer to have acted willfully or recklessly, then the employee can sue you. So it's another reason to show you're exercising ordinary care. But it's true that customers don't have, you don't have that immunity with customers. And also people have been talking about employee family members. So the employee might not be able to sue you if they get COVID-19 at work, but if they then go home and infect their family, you could potentially end up with a lawsuit by the family. So. Um, it's, yeah, it's interesting. But initially, the, um, there was a lot of talk about how it would be hard to prove that COVID-19, you caught it at work because it's something that's so contagious. But some states, and California has gone the furthest, have started creating presumptions, especially for the first responders. They've said, if you get COVID-19, there'll be a rebuttable presumption that you got it at work. Uh, the governor of California has extended that to all employees. So if somebody gets it and they can show there's a connection to work, it'll be presumed it was work-related unless the employer can show otherwise. So, um, yeah, that's another area that I think, especially when we head into the second wave, I think right now people are still being pretty careful with social distancing and all those things, but I think we'll let our guard down and then that could lead to problems. We're definitely seeing in other states that went from being totally closed to then completely open. You know, right. I, I don't know if, for example, if the state of Florida had a phased in approach, but, right. you know, we are certainly seeing their numbers increase as right. we are in Texas and Arizona. Um, you know, when, when we think about what that even means for the workplace, you know, do you, do you have the, uh, the little magic eight ball that you can tell us what you think the future might hold if 
our numbers start exponentially increasing across the country. Like it's very hard to say. I think there's competing political, you know, concerns. The shutting down the economy was really devastating. So, but you know, having it open with the disease running rampant ends up in a loss of life. And so I don't know how that's all gonna get balanced out. Um, I do think there will be continued pressure to allow people to work remotely as long and as much as you can. Um, yeah. so. and, and it's interesting, we, so we're at Sun Life, we're doing it completely voluntarily. And one of, in the law department, one of the managers asked her employees to like send her a note about what they felt. And, and those got shared with me. And it was amazing sort of how deeply felt and personal the stories were about the reasons why people didn't want to come back. And it, it made me realize people really are afraid. They're, um, I know there's a thought, some people are just relying on that, but I, I do think there's a, a very deep level of real fear. Um, and every, even if the person, the employee doesn't have an underlying health condition, they have a close relative they live with who does. And so they're very worried about exposing them, so. Yeah, Propel's human resource team does a company-wide survey every couple of weeks asking questions like, you know, in the last week, how, how frequently have you felt hopeful? How frequently have you felt depressed? Um, which gives a really great gauge on just how people really are feeling. Right. And one of the questions they asked in the last week was around coming back to work. You know, are you, are you fearful? And we broke it into some other layers, like, are you concerned about contracting coronavirus at work? Are mm -hmm. you concerned about public transportation? Do you right. live with someone? It was something like 67% of over 200 people who responded are, are more concerned about coming to work and contracting it. You know, when you think about all the steps that you take to get to work and the people that you interact with and then sit among, uh, you know, all of a sudden you've gone from a pretty protected environment yeah. to who knows where everyone has been. I was surprised to see how many people are concerned. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised at the, at the, not only the detail of these responses I read, but how clearly heartfelt these individuals, you know, you can get a sense of whether somebody's kind of just playing you. These, these authors were not playing, you know, it, but whether their fear is well-founded or not, you know, that's, that's hard to know. If the workplace is taking care of things, you know, and social distancing and keeping the plexiglass up and everything, it probably is a relatively low risk, but it doesn't feel low risk to the individuals. So. Um, and fair to say there's still a lot that we don't know when right. a virus is new and even in relation to how often the CDC or someone else will say, well, we kind of misunderstood that or yeah. we have a better understanding of this now, right. then it changes. And I think, you know, that that makes people a little more nervous, right. too. Right. Um, right. Yeah. One of your earlier comments was around emergency leave and sort of the miraculous nature of the federal government, yeah, including yeah. something like this. Um, 
Yeah. Do you remember back as, as far as January, 2020, I know it seems like a lifetime ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> you remember that? Um, I, I remember hearing you and James speak in January and I think we all had some pretty hard bets riding on a federal move to family leave this mm -hmm. year. It was sort of the thought, this is in the bag. This is the year it's going to happen. And then COVID happened. Right, right. So is there a thought that perhaps the emergency leave will kind of transition perhaps to being something more permanent? Is it a gateway? Or do you think it'll be a, a one and done and we'll deal with that later? Well, I, have a, I have a few different observations on this whole paid leave thing. Um, it's sort of a weird, perfect storm in a, in a negative way in that it is really, the COVID has highlighted the need for paid leave. I mean, I think everybody gets it now, but the economy is horrible. Nobody can afford to pay for the paid leave. So there's this huge understanding of how important it is, but there's also the, all of these states and the federal government like thinking, oh my God, where are we going to get the money to fund it? I do think once the dust settles, you're going to see, I, I say this more about employers. What I think is going to happen for private employers is that the ones who survive are going to see how important it is as a benefit. And you're going to see, I think, an expansion of paid leave in the private employer space. I think the government's going to take longer just because of they're going to have to build their economies back up. Um, I do think that the adoption of the federal leave was a gateway. I like that reference to it. Um, one of the things that happened at the end of 2019, which again, seems like 100 years ago, was that the federal government adopted fully paid parental leave 12 weeks for virtually all, not all, but most federal employees. That created a wave of activity in January and February by a bunch of other states that then said, well, we're going to have our state workers get paid parental leave as well. And that was what we were predicting was going to take off in 2020. We thought that would then expand into the private sector and that at least as to paid parental leave, you know, the time had come. But then COVID hit and there has not been any legislation <laughs> introduced since then relating to this. And I just, I think we're gonna have to wait for the dust to settle. Um, I think if the economy ever gets back on its feet, uh, we are gonna see again, your, people are gonna recognize how important it is. You're gonna see, I think you're gonna see a lot of paid leave legislation being amended to address public health emergencies. We're already starting to see that, but I think that's going to become a new category of leave. Um, so yeah, it's 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 sad to me because I was enjoying the the expansion of paid leave, but I it's kind of on pause right now. I would say I was hopeful. It was one of the things I was really hopeful about yeah. for 2020. But you know, we've all had some hopes dashed this yeah. year, right? Yeah. Let's be. Let but it is honest. a huge opportunity for private employers to distinguish themselves. You know, the, the younger generations really value this leave. And I think if you came out of this crisis at all sound, it's a great benefit to add. 
Um, yes. Great point. Do you think that, you know, and I, because I, I feel like now that we know all of the things that we know and organizations were more prepared for some kind of disruption that was maybe an earthquake in the Northwest or your business has a fire, something like that. I, I really don't know if it had ever been on any of our radars to plan for a pandemic and a massive shutdown like this. So obviously when it comes to even our policies and, and handbooks, do you think that there's now a whole new section in our HR toolkit that has to be permanently expanded to on what do we do in these kinds of situations that really does go beyond having leave? Uh, yeah, I, so I think this whole, we're, we're actually at Sun Life, I think, rethinking, do we need office space? I mean, I, I think the whole virtual world has come crashing. <laughs> you know, yes. not, not every manager liked it, not every business liked it, not, not every employee liked it. I never yes. wanted to work remotely, but um, I've, I've adjusted. Um, and so I do, I think that's going to be a huge shakeup in terms of, you know, especially if people are predicting there will be future pandemics, then you got to have social distancing. You can't have all those people together. Um, and it's potentially a money saver for businesses if they're not paying all that real estate. So huge. Yeah, huge. I, and I would imagine the cost now of the increased cleanings and disinfection that has to happen between shifts and days has to also be a tremendous right. expense. It'd be a um, great time to be in the plexiglass business though. <laughs> <laughs> plexiglass and I'll tell you, I've got a, a friend who works at Microsoft and the team that she is on is part of the team's reporting team. And you know, they have never been busier. There are certain elements of business that have absolutely exploded, right? Basically anything that equips people like, like Zoom to connect right. and, and right. chat. Um, yes, you know, their, their department has never had so much work or performed so well. I'm definitely thinking like, what are the, what are the places we should be investing, <laughs> investing in and looking at? It's, <laughs> totally different now than it would have been yeah. six months ago. Everything yeah. that we have known has, has really been flipped around for yeah. sure. Um, I'm looking to see if we have questions in chat. Um, folks, if you do have questions, please uh, send them all through. Um, Marjorie is a wonderful, um, well, a wonderful resource and someone who you know, thinks about those things around the corner that we don't often think about because we're not attorneys who <laughs> things like lawsuits. So, um, Marjorie, were there, were there any other cases that you wanted to share? Well, I think there have been some cases under the federal leave law where um, I think employers, you know, that law put, requires smaller employers who have never had to do the FMLA, let alone any paid leave, suddenly they have to provide leave. And I think there are a lot of smaller employers that just didn't get with the program. And so we've seen some lawsuits resulting from that. Um, okay. And 
other, I'm trying to think of, I think mainly the other lawsuits we're going to see are going to have to do with people catching COVID at work or saying they did, and then the firings for retaliating for raising safety concerns. I think that's, that's just going to be with us forever. Right. Um, so yeah. I do think it's, uh, I, I had to, at Sun Life, I had to actually encourage management to make clear that we don't tolerate retaliation and that make it as easy as possible for people to complain. <laughs> right. I think a lot of managers like think, oh, let's not make it easy. I don't want to have to deal with it. But I think in the long run, it could protect you better if people feel that they can speak up. So. An ounce of prevention, right? Applies in this situation, just like it does our, uh, our healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, your comments too around leave administration, and this was part of my, you know, sort of conclusion thoughts too, and a, a place that I don't know if people realize the different abilities and capabilities that Sun Life has, but that absence management administration is becoming a larger and larger topic Unfortunately, it's not available for every employer yet. It's something that's, you know, the, the larger you are, the easier it is to access. And by larger, I mean 150, 200 employees. That's kind of the threshold. Right. But having an administrator who can coordinate the state level, you know, perhaps city level, federal leaves, including maybe even some of the leaves that you have written into your policies, these absence management services can provide so much help and a help that really protects you from the what if someone is unhappy with your decision and it can prevent a lawsuit. It also can help make sure that there's a third party who is screening those medical requests. You know, I've, I've used the example with clients, you know, would, do you really want to be the one that decides whether someone has a valid medical reason? I don't, I'm not a doctor. I would be terrified to mm -hmm. kind of mess that up. I, I would probably just approve everything, which also has an expense. So right. having an expert do that, Sun Life has that relationship and it is through a third party um, but you guys can help fill in with some expertise in that space too, which I think is, is really valuable. Yeah. And just um, to add on to that, I did see the question in the chat, which we can talk about, but to add on to the outsourcing, a lot more employers are outsourcing their ADA accommodations too. And there are a ton more ADA accommodations that are being requested now because of COVID, um, largely related point. to people wanting to work outside the office, but um, there are a lot coming in. Yeah, good point. Yes, yeah, so there's a question in the chat. Do you wanna pose it? Sure. What are legal pitfalls or best practices for symptom screening and exposure tracing? Those are some other hot button they are. topics they right are. now, aren't they? Right, and this is an the symptom screening is a really important one to make sure that you know your state and local requirements. Some of them mandate it, 
Uh, New York, I know, recently mandated a daily screening that you need to do. Even if they don't mandate it, it's probably a good idea. Um, it, so whether you take temperatures or not, that I think is more up in the air. People aren't sure temperatures necessarily make a difference. You can certainly require people to take their temperatures at home before they come to work and then report to you, you know, whether they had a temperature. Um, but yeah, there are screening questions about whether you've had the symptoms, who you've been exposed to, and you need to do it not just for employees, but also for any visitors on site. Um, one of the things that I'm very sensitive to is that you need to do this kind of privately. Uh, the ADA protects medical information, so because it's a pandemic, you can ask those questions, you can take the temperature, but you need to keep those results confidential. Um, and if you store them, you have to put them in a confidential location separate from the personnel file. So, Would there be a need to store them? Well, so at Sun Life, again, I, my personal experience, we, we are debating what to do and whether to save them. And some people think it might be helpful to keep them for a two-week period so that you could kind of watch whether there were trends and see what was happening, but not necessarily save it on a longer-term basis. But other people are saying, no way, we don't want, we don't want the information. <laughs> we don't want to have to worry about it. And there are more and more companies that will do this for you as well. Um, there are also apps that employees can use. So I think that's a huge growth area that we're going to see more and more of that happening. And likewise with the testing. I think right now the testing isn't widely available. It, it may not be reliable. But once that becomes more mainstream, I think you're going to see more and more requirements that employees be tested before they come on site. And luckily, because, not luckily, because uh, COVID-19 is a pandemic, the EEOC has said some of the ADA restrictions on what you can ask and what you can do are loosened up because they recognize that it can create such a danger to people, to having people come on site who have symptoms. And the contact tracing, so the last thing is the contact tracing apps. Um, I, I think that they will gain in popularity. I get a little nervous about employers requiring them or having access to the extent you're gonna be looking at people's contacts outside of work. I'm afraid that could raise some privacy issues, but, um, but I think they're, it's very helpful to do it within the workplace so that you avoid a big outbreak. If you have somebody at work who gets symptoms, try to review with them as much as you can who they've had contact with. Um, I think there are some apps that actually keep that data, assuming everybody at work is using, you know, is walking around with the app. They can actually track it for you. Okay. Um, let's see. So from another question, if an employee is confirmed with COVID-19, I understand the employer has to keep the identity confidential. Is it okay to disclose the identity if the employee is okay with sharing their name? Yeah, so this comes up a lot in terms of employers are like, how am I gonna warn somebody without being specific who it was? Um, I think that you can, some, some commentators say, don't ask, because that, even if they say yes, they may later regret it. I think people are, you have to use common sense. If, if you ask somebody, can I tell the people, who did you have the most close contact with? 
are you okay with me telling those people that it was you? Um, I think most, not most, but many employees would probably be okay with that um, as long as those employees were asked to keep it confidential. You never know that they will. I think where employees are less likely to agree to it is if you're going to put it in some kind of broad announcement. Um, I think they're less likely to agree. Um, sometimes, you know, you can't completely protect somebody's identity. I mean, you can tell people there's somebody in your area who got COVID, who was here. People are going to figure it out. So I'm not sure you always need to tell. <laughs> you need to reveal the name, uh, especially in smaller workplaces. There, it's going to become obvious who it is. So it's interesting. There is, there is a fear. I've, I have seen reports that in obituaries, some people are reluctant to have it say that the person had COVID because they think there's a stigma associated with it. Um, so I, I think you do need to be a little careful with that one. I think so too. I've heard, you know, anecdotally, I know of a couple of people personally who have uh, been sick with COVID and they have recovered. They've been very hesitant to share it with people because they have had friends and even other family well after their symptoms have cleared and they've said they're okay right you know people will say yeah we really we don't want to see you we don't yeah. like <laughs> you don't you don't have covid forever right right um but it's been it's been uh, sad too to hear yeah. some yeah. of that where people feel even more isolated because yeah. now they're kind of ostracized yeah yeah, and someday, well, hopefully, we'll, they may be the safest people to talk to someday when we know about the antibodies, so. Very true, very true. Uh, I don't see any other questions popping up in chat. I hope that means that we all feel really confident and know <laughs> exactly what's going on. I only laugh about that because there are days where I feel like every single day there's something new and you know, we are all reading and, you know, doing web meetings and uh, it's, it's a lot, everyone. I, I don't know that I can think of any other time where human resources has been so inundated and really on the front end of something of, well, anything close to this kind of scope. So definitely um, in it together and sharing of resources and thoughts and ideas is a really wonderful way to support each other. Um, so one of the things I wanted to, you know, introduce here before we conclude, because I think the timing and the opportunity is really great. Um, you know, and I've mentioned this a little bit earlier too, many of us think of Sun Life as being that dental or a life insurance carrier, but a lot of the leave management solutions are a space that Sun Life also can be a great resource. And a newer area would be in the space of technology. And you know, as we are working more remote in many different organizations and spaces, to Marjorie's point, and, you know, even from Propel's perspective, we are actively planning for, you know, what if there is another COVID 
outbreak, you know, in the fall? What if this remote work is something that is really an extended, continued, perhaps even permanent part of our work life? What does that mean for those of us who've really heavily relied on paper processes? All of a sudden, technology, you know, isn't a really nice frivolous purchase. It's a necessity. Um, Sun Life actually made some great partnerships and it's been very recent and I wanted, you know, to ask Whitney to give us that little, um, the little, the little picture of what that solution looks like and you know, we can offer and talk about some opportunities if you're still in a paper process and you're looking for technology, then let's talk with Whitney and look at look at a solution. So Whitney, want to share with us? Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Danielle. Thanks, Marjorie. Um, happy to be here. Really great discussion today. Um, as always, Marjorie has a lot of good points. So um, just a little bit about Sun Life. So we're a top 10 life and disability carrier. We have over $4.2 billion of life and disability and all benefits um, in force. That includes stop loss. So as you mentioned, we do dental, vision, life, disability, voluntary benefits, supplemental health, and stop loss. So um, we're really a one-stop shop for our clients. Um, and I wanted to uh, say as well, Danielle, you're absolutely right. We also offer absence management solutions that integrate with the disability, which is, um, really the best uh, situation to have because those claims are so interrelated and can happen at the same time or one right after the other. Um, and so I partner closely with Marjorie and her team to um, answer questions and deliver solutions for our clients there. Um, and I personally have been in the employee benefits industry for eight years. And what I can tell you for certain is that it is constantly changing. Um, our industry has needed technology um, to improve efficiencies and um, Sun Life has always been at the forefront of that. Um, one thing I really like about Sun Life is that we move quickly when we see a business need. We move quickly to come up with uh, solutions and kind of move what's needed to uh, the top of the pile. So when COVID happened, um, we had all of these uh, technology solutions that we were going to deliver to our clients, you know, within the next year or two, and we move that ahead and we now are able to offer um, a ton of different free solutions, um, no cost solutions to our clients. Um, but we also have partnerships with over 150 different Ben admin solutions. So what that means is um, there's really no technology platform that we can't work with. Um, our goal is to meet our clients where they're at and um, make sure that we can fill in any gaps. So what we're really focused on right now, and Danielle, I know what you're excited about too, is our um, client landing page. So we can essentially build all of our clients a little mini website, call it, for all of their um, benefits content, whether that's pre-recorded videos, Brain shark videos, which for all of us whose attention spans are getting shorter and shorter, they're really quick, less than a minute videos that explain the benefits. Um, they're awesome. Employees really like that. And then there's also a link out to 
the client's enrollment site directly on that web page. Um, and again, the content is very dynamic. There's scheduling tools. Um, you can have a live webinar hosted through that website by one of our benefit counselors who are not commissioned. Um, their goal is just to educate. Um, but through education, we do find that there is so much more engagement um, in the benefits, which translates into greater employee satisfaction. And at the end of the day, um, we know that every client is different and you all as business leaders want to um, engage your employees and attract and retain the best people. So we found that um, technology can be instrumental in doing that. So um, we, we also have a free enrollment platform that pairs nicely with our client landing page. But again, we also have um, partnerships with many, many different platforms that you may already be utilizing. Um, we purchased Maxwell Health in 2018, um, which is a more specific solution where you'll find additional efficiencies and um, integrations not available elsewhere. So I think Danielle is going to be doing another checkup um, to dive deeper into this, or we're going to do a webinar more specifically around this. So if you want more information, let Danielle know. Um, we can set up a call. And again, we know that every client's different. So we want to get put together uh, whatever works best for you. So um, with that, I think that's all I wanted to say. Um, and thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for making time for another Zoom meeting <laughs> today. Uh, one of the things that I like about the solutions that Sun Life has structured is that there really is something for everyone and that, you know, the budget point of if you don't have a budget for technology, we have a solution for that up to, you know, there's a solution like Maxwell Health that has a cost, but there are also these other embedded um, pieces to that, which would, you know, increase the efficiencies and connect with payroll. So a lot of different opportunities to solve for technology problems or to put technology in place because you just don't have any right now. Um, so, you know, we're, we're considering, and I, this is where I would love feedback from those of you who are listening, you know, would it be helpful to just set up some small demos? Um, would you like some one-on-one -on -one so you can see what those solutions look like? And, you know, I would offer the same when it comes to absence and leave management, if that's something that strikes a chord for you as well understanding what that option looks like. You know, there's no better time than the current, than the current time. So we're, we're happy to help coordinate um, those, those conversations too. And I wanted to say, you know, I, I didn't think of it really until Whitney was chatting. Um, we, so Washington State and Sun Life, obviously, you know, Propel has a great relationship with Sun Life and you guys are wonderful to us. One of my clients had um, a death related to COVID pretty early on and it was a Sun Life client. And for Sun Life, it was the first COVID life insurance claim that you guys paid um, across the country. And 
the um, the number of people that came to the table with a really sincere concern for that employee and their family and the handholding for that claim. I think we got daily updates from the team. Um, it was, you know, it, it, it was so great to see that all hands on deck and the true commitment to, to understanding that this was all new and, you know, we had a, a client and their family that were really um, just in a, you know, it was emotional, it was scary, and your teams really did wonderfully with that claim. And um, that to me is always the value of life insurance, the getting that claim paid, but that service of seeing it through and supporting the family was really great. So thank you for that, Whitney. That was you, you and your team were incredible. Um, so, you know, to that end, we can help you find solutions. And Marjorie mentioned symptom trackers. We're going to have an encore presentation of the symptom tracker tool with EMBA next week. You know, in my comparisons, they are incredibly affordable. They are no cost for a small employer. So if you have fewer than 10 employees or you're a nonprofit of any size, they will offer their symptom tracker tool at no cost and they can have it live in about 48 hours. So we will take a look at that again. Uh, there will be no car accidents to peel me away from the WebEx that day. Uh, there will be no technology issues that day. So we're gonna do a clean, a clean slate, fresh start uh, next Wednesday at noon. So with that, I don't see any other questions. Thank you all for joining. Thank you for being a part of my day today. Thanks to my guests. And you can follow us on Propel Checkup on YouTube or listen to this on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks so much. Take good care.